Good morning. Nice to see all of you today here at church. Some are not here. Some are listening or looking, whatever, however the system works. And anyway, we're glad, to, we're glad you're here. And today we're, we're speaking on Proverbs 16, 1 to 9. Too many points for a sermon, but I'll do it the best I can. And it's a, a very uh, applicable topic as far as I'm concerned, man's way and God's way. And certainly, certainly um, I need this teaching, and perhaps maybe you would tap in and enjoy it as well. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, we bow in your presence now with grateful hearts that you've allowed us to come to into your word, the wonderful Bible, and look at some verses that will help us in our day-by-day walk with you. So we give this time to you and all who listen. May we listen with attention. May we listen with open hearts and do what you want us to do today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two, there are two very important things as you look at these nine verses in Proverbs 16. One of them is that, that uh, the word Lord, L-O-R-D, appears uh, eight times in nine verses. So that is kind of a, a red flag for us to notice that this is the Lord having a special message for us. We better pay attention. And then the other verses, of course, the nine verses, are also telling us kind of the way men do things, the way we plan, the way we think, the way we act. And so uh, that's the, um, the connection that is made. And it makes me think of a verse in Psalm 32.8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. We come to point number one. The first verse is, is man's way. And let's read the verse. The preparations of the heart belongs to belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now, your translation will be different on probably most of these because each of us has a different translation, it seems like. And so if it, uh, if it conflicts with the way yours reads, just stay with it. It'll give the same message no matter how it is in your Bible. So when we look at this way, man's way, of course, is that we, we make plans. That's the first thing. We make plans. Uh, the preparations of the heart, that word preparation is the same word that is used of a soldier who uh, in, goes, goes into battle and he, he makes the preparation that's necessary to go into battle. And so uh, we all make plans. This is a very natural thing in life. We all make plans because it is a daily function. You make plans, I make plans. These plans are necessary for everyday living. But now notice what it says about God's way. Man's way is to make the plans. What's God's way? Well, God has, God, I put down here, God has the last word. It's very interesting how the word, uh, it says, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Well, the tongue is that mechanism in our mouth that we use to speak. And it says the answer of the tongue is from whom? The Lord. So the Lord has the last word. And sometimes we don't like to hear that, do we? And uh, we know the first part of the verse, but we forget sometimes the second phrase, that the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. What does this really mean, folks? It means that he knows the outcome of every situation. He guides us, and he guides what comes out of the heart and also the mouth. 
We can make our plans, but the outcome is in God's hand. I love Jeremiah 10, 23. You've known it, and you've said it many times. Oh, Lord, I know the way a man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. What a wonderful verse that is. So the, the key to understand is that, that people make plans in their hearts, but only the Lord can make those plans come true. You and I know that's so true. Jesus instructed his disciples about this matter of speaking in a very interesting portion in Mark 13, 11, when he said, But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given, you in that hour speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? So they were trying to figure out how they were going to answer all these guys before whom they were standing. But the Lord says, I'll just give you the words when you get there. And that is so wonderful. So God has a last word, dear people. <clears throat> you may not like this, but this is the way it is. If God has the last word, then don't you think we should give more thought to how we plan and prepare our day and everything that comes across our pathway? I believe we should. And I, I believe in this verse so very strongly, Philippians 2 and verse 13. It is a beautiful verse. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And I never really can figure that out, but I know as I look in retrospect and look in my history, in my life, I can see how it works out in a very simple and in a, in a, very, uh, in a very stupid way because I used to take the bus from my home out in the country down into town, Phoenix, to go to church. And I would get off the bus and I would walk down the street, notice that street, not sidewalk, street, to get to church. So this one night I was walking down the street like I always do and all of a sudden there was a strange urge in my heart to jump up onto the sidewalk. I can't tell you why, but I did. I went instantly to the sidewalk, and in that very instant, there was a screeching sound, and a truck had sliced the car into, in which I was right beside before I stepped up on the sidewalk. So the Lord wanted Ralph to last a few more days anyway, and so... That, that's what happened. But uh, anyway, isn't it wonderful that the, the, Lord, the Lord has the last word? He always does. Uh, Balaam. Remember Balaam in the Bible in Numbers chapter 23? What a story that is. I'm not going to read it all. But then uh, Balak answered Balaam. And he said, then, Balaam, uh, then Balaam's anger was aroused against Balaam. And, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I call you to curse my enemies. And look, you have bountifully blessed him these three times, because that's what Balaam did. He wanted, he wanted him to curse Israel. But Balaam could only do what God told him to do, you see. And so he was going to curse him, but he, he blessed the people of Israel three times. Balaam wanted to curse, but God made him bless the people. Dear people, are you willing to let him have the last word in your life? In everything, I hope you are. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will direct your way. What a wonderful, wonderful verse that is. How wonderful to let the Lord direct our way. Years ago, my brother Ernie, who's now in heaven, 
he, he and his wife were going to go to Brazil to be missionaries. And uh, later on, that didn't work out. So Margie and I were going to hook up with my brother, and we were going to go to Indonesia and work. And that didn't work out. And so the Lord worked in my brother's life and sent them to Singapore. And here he worked in Ralph and Margie's life, and we went to Brazil. So what a, what a messed up thing that is, isn't it? But see, my brother spent 64 years in Singapore, and we were 25 years in Brazil. You never know how the Lord's going to lead, but it's so wonderful to let him lead and let him do it. Now let's go to verse 2, man's way. Well, man's way of what? Well, he thinks he's right. Isn't that the way we always do, folks? You talk to anyone about what they're doing, and almost without exception, everyone thinks what they're doing is correct. Just the way, we, the way we're made. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. That's what it says. It's the fact that most of us really believe we do things the right way. Did you also notice that oftentimes we kind of compare ourselves with someone who may be a little bit more inferior, and so we're, we know we're a little better than they anyway, so that's kind of the way we compare ourselves. It's kind of an amazing thing. So what does God think about all this? Well, it says the Lord weighs the spirits. I love that phrase. The Lord weighs. The, how does he weigh the spirit? Beautiful verse. Um, it's interesting that uh, dear old Dr. Charles Spurgeon, he said, uh, he said that, that we, are, we are all partial in judging ourselves. And he said it would be good to kind of look over these things in our lives, check our secret lives, check our private and hidden indulgences, check our company and our conversations, check our forsaken prayer life, check our forgotten Bible, Check our lukewarm religion and uh, kind of do an evaluation. Not a bad idea. I love it. These are things that we should look at because if all the way of a man, all the ways of a man are pure in his own, it's good to, to peruse these things that I just labeled and named from Spurgeon that are so important. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, said Hebrews 3.13, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It can be so deceitful. God weighs our spirits. He knows what is going on inside us, and we cannot fool him. We cannot deceive him. A man, a man put up a mailbox down on his street, put the pole in, nice cement, got it all plumbed up, looked so nice. Went up, it was all in cement, of course, so he went up to the house, and the next morning looked out, and he says, Woo, the mailbox is a little crooked. It was too late. It's already set in cement. No way to change it. A lot of times we get that way. The things we do are kind of set in cement, and we don't change them or don't let God change them, and what a shame that really is. God weighs us in, in the balances he uses the, le see, he uses, God uses the right kind of level, and he really knows how well we are doing. And I, I put down here in my notes, the bubble in God's level works perfectly, and he can sure pop the bubble in my, my level, too. Job said, let me, be, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. And Samuel said, Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Are we on the level with God, 
I hope we are. Let's go to point three, verse three. Man's way. Commit your way. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Isn't that a wonderful verse? We all love it very much. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Someone said, we are to roll four things upon the Lord. Because this verse uses the word commit, which means to roll over. Kind of, kind of roll over onto him. Like, like my brother, my brother Harold is a character. He's listening to this too. He said, uh, he said, um, at his house, you know, he'd hand me a great big bowl of mashed potatoes. And he just handed it to me. Well, of course, I took it because he handed it to me. And he says, hold that, Ralph. Well, it's because he didn't want to hold it, so he gave it to me to hold. That's what we're supposed to do with these things. We're supposed to roll upon him different things in our lives. Here's one of them we're to roll upon the Lord, ourselves. Roll yourself upon the Lord. Another thing we're supposed to roll is our way, the things that you do. Let's roll upon the Lord our way. Let's roll upon him our burden. Do you have any burdens today? Are there things that are kind of kind of bothering you? Sure they are. Well, roll your burden upon the Lord. And then what about your works, the things that you do? What about casting them upon the Lord as well? Well, it says, commit your works to the Lord. And it says, God's way is that your thoughts will be established. I love this. God has a way of straightening out our minds when we are committing the things that we do to him. He just works it out so that our that our thoughts are established. I love it. I love it. Well, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Have you learned to do that? Cast your care upon the Lord. I hope you have. Psalm 37, 23, The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and he delights in his way. When we do these things, the Lord says, Our thoughts will be established. What it really means is that from our hearts, we will then say to the Lord, Lord, your will be done. That's wonderful. Uh, there's a great hymn in your hymn books there. I won't ask you to open it, but it's called Take Your Burden to the Lord and Leave There. When I was a little boy in Phoenix, Arizona, there's a verse in this song that says, Take Your, uh, talks about birds, B I R D S. And so I often said, it says, take your burden to the Lord. I said, well, how in the world do you take your burden to the Lord? And I was a little kid, I didn't understand it. Well, I understand it a little better now after all of these many, many years. Charles, Charles Albert Tinley wrote this song. What a beautiful, maybe you can relate to some of the messages that this song gives us. It, it is very touching. If the world, because we're talking about burdens, taking your burden to the Lord. If the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little bird. There it is, the bird. <laughs> Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Here's another problem you might have. If your body suffers pain and your health you, can, you can't regain, and your soul is almost sinking in despair. Jesus knows the pain you feel. He can save and he can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Here's another problem. When your enemies assail and your heart begins to fail, don't forget that God in heaven answers prayer. He will make a way for you and will lead you safely through. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. And here's the one that hits me because I qualify. Maybe you do too. Listen. When your youthful days are gone, 
and old age is stealing on, and your body bends beneath the weight of care, he will never leave you then. He'll go with you to the end. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Have you left your burden with the Lord, my dear friend? Leave it with him. Oh, how he knows how to take care of it. He says he will, he will establish your thoughts. I love that. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 that we may not like so well. Listen to what it says. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So that burden that you have and that thought that you have, you can take that thought and you can ask God to take that thought and you bring it into him, before him, and let him control that, be captivity to the obedience of Christ. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful verse. Verse number four, here we go, another one, it says, the Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Beautiful verse, beautiful verse. So what's God's way? Well, God's way, it says it made, he made everything for himself. We can't argue with that because that's what the verse says. In fact, um, God didn't make, uh, didn't make wicked men. If you read Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29, here's what it says. He made man upright. But they have sought out many schemes. They sure did. Read what happened in the Garden of Eden. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. In 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All backing up exactly what it says here, that he made everything for himself. In John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 1 Timothy 2.4, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God is not the author of evil. There are abundant verses that teach us that in James and many other places we will not go into, but it's interesting that we should notice this, that, that he, he did not create anyone for punishment. He didn't predestinate them for punishment or destruction. All who reject Jesus Christ will someday acknowledge that he is Lord. One of the most sobering verses in the Bible for you who do not know Jesus as your personal Savior is this, my dear friends, Philippians 2.10. Here's what it says, that at the name of Jesus, have you heard a lot about bending the knee or kneeling in sport lately? You've kind of heard that kind of, kind of, phrase, kind of phrase is utmost, isn't it? Well, listen to this. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what's going to happen. Everyone now who doesn't know Jesus will one day recognize that he is the Lord, and he is the one that could have saved my soul from hell. And if you don't accept it now, it will be too late. Oh, how, how sad, but how wonderful to know it now so you can do something about it. Well, let's go to the fifth verse. That's, that's, um, that's says, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Isn't that amazing? So what is man's way? Well, man's way is pride. It's pride. There's a, there's a great checklist. There's a great checklist of abominable things in, in Proverbs 6. Just a few chapters back, you know what they are? It says in verse 17, listen to this list that God gives us in Proverbs 6, 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who's, who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. So these are all things that God hates. And so what is, um, what is God's way in this? Well, it says right there, it's, it says that though they join forces, none will go unpunished. That's really a wonderful thing. In other words, no, the, although they join forces, Proverbs 11:21 says, they will not go they will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. Proverbs 6:17, God hates a proud look. James 4:16, but now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. 1 Peter 5:5, 5, 5, marked in your outline, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, nothing escapes the control and the judgment of God. We see it all through Scripture. Look what happened at the Tower of Babel. Boy, they didn't get by with it. They were trying to make a tower that reached to heaven without God's help. didn't work. He, dis he dispersed the crowd very quickly. Pride is a, is a horrible thing. Uh, I've never heard of anything more stupid than what I'm going to read to you right now. A man bought a new pair of shoes, but later returned them to the shop a few weeks later because they had lost their squeak. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Listen. Keep listening. He wanted them to squeak. Listen, he wanted them to squeak as he walked the church aisle so they would draw attention to himself. Ooh, isn't that interesting? So if anyone has squeaky shoes on today, you better take them off because we... <laughs> pride. That, that's that's uh, pride at its, at its worst. God knows how to stop your squeaky shoes, my dear people. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Oh, how tragic it is when you forget God during this lifetime. Verse 6 says, In mercy 
and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. And many of your translations have a different way to say that. In fact, I've checked various translations, so many different ways to say what I'm saying. But I'll tell you, folks, if you look closely, you'll see the word iniquity in there. You'll also see the word evil in there. And you'll also see the word mercy, and you'll see the word truth, and you see atonement. And all of these are beautiful illustrations for you and me of the, um, of the gospel text. In other words, God's mercy. And, of course, with mercy, you always have God's grace because God's mercy is withholding from us what we deserve. God's grace is giving to us what we don't deserve. And God's truth is him himself and is also the word of God, the Bible. And so what a beautiful picture of uh, of, 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 the, of salvation is and then the word atonement and you could go into great detail and go for all the Old Testament the types for this it's beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful gospel text man's way so man's way in verse 6 he's a sinner and what's God's way well I just put the word salvation it's salvation God is the one that gives salvation yep uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful story well <clears throat> Let's go to verse 7. Verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Well, that's a good verse, isn't it? That, um, maybe a lot of us could, uh, could kind of really work that one over. And if we have some friends, some people that aren't such, uh, such good friends of ours, maybe enemies, just what, look what it says. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So the main thought, the main thought here is, is this. Our enemies may hate us, but they will not be able to say one word against our character. How true that is. So man's ways please the Lord. That's what it says. When a man ways please, then God's way, he makes his enemies to be at peace with him. What a beautiful story. You can go all through the Bible and find illustrations of this. Look what, look what God did in Job with Job and preserving him. Look what, look what Laban, how Laban made peace with Jacob. Look, look how Esau made peace with, with, um, with Jacob. Look how, look how the king of Assyria in the book of Ezra uh, gave favor to the Jews. And look how the Philippian jailer in Acts 16 uh, favored Paul and Silas. It's really amazing. Romans 8.28 for we, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God has a way of making his enemies to be at peace with him. I'm going to read something to you. Please be patient. Listen to this touching story. The conduct of missionary Nathanus Statch illustrates the impact of a life guided by our Lord's peacemaking principles. For 20 years, he labored in Greenland where he encountered fierce opposition. He says, my every move was misunderstood. My efforts to win these people whom I loved were repulsed by scoffing, but I knew that God who had called me was faithful and that he would eventually conquer the hearts of my vindictive critics. After two decades of, of weary toil, I sat one day reading aloud from the third chapter of the Gospel of John. Unknown to me, my chief persecutor was listening intently to every word I said. Suddenly, he burst into my hut 
and demanded that I read it again. As I repeated the gracious words, this former enemy began to tremble and asked me to show him the way of salvation. The Holy Spirit then began to work in the hearts of others, and soon many were led to Christ. One after another, those who had become antagonists came to me and pleaded for pardon. Thus my foes became my friends. Oh, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, what a story. Don't give up. Don't give up on those you think are your enemies. Keep living faithfully for Jesus. In his time, those who oppose you will come around and the things will bring honor and glory to the name of the Lord. Praise his name for that. Let's look at the eighth verse. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. Now, you don't really need me to expound on this. You understand that. It's very clear. Man's way is that... that um, he doesn't. He doesn't have much. Uh, he doesn't have much, but he is. He's righteous. In other words, this is a believer that doesn't have very much of this world's goods. Say it any way you want to on your outline there. Most Christians are not wealthy. We know that. First Corinthians one twenty six, where you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. <clears throat> we may have few possessions. However, we should earn our money. Fairly, of course, but this verse is talking about someone who doesn't have very much. He knows the Lord. He's a believer. And uh, what a blessing that is. And so what is God's evaluation? He says, better this way than have much and be unrighteous. God would rather have you poor and be his child than to be rich and to be never see him in heaven ever. Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with great treasure with trouble. Matthew 16, 26, for what profit is it to a, a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What a, what a powerful verse. God helps the poor man who is honest. God will punish the rich man who is not honest. In the Amazon jungles, we lived a, a hundred miles down from the Peruvian and Colombian border, and it was a long ways to get anything, anything that we needed. We'd have to go six hours upstream and then four hours to get back home, downstream, see, with the, the, the current. Ten hours. So one of our dear pioneer missionaries, Franz Lanner, who's now with Jesus, she coined a phrase which we never will forget, and we use it over and over again. She said, blessed be nothing. Blessed be nothing. In other words, we needed something. But you're going to travel 10 hours to get it? No, just blessed be nothing. We'll get, we'll get along. We'll get along. Well, it's better to have nothing but have Jesus, dear friend. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Yes, I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I hope that's your prayer and your thought today as well. Verse 9 gives us the last one. It says, 
A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Did, did you notice how much like verse 1 it is? They're almost, they're almost duplicates, except one of them is talking about, uh, about his heart, and this is talking about uh, actually what he actually, actually does. So it's interesting. This is a very comforting verse. We may, we, we may devise and we may plan and often worry as we make our plans, but behind it stands the Lord, and in spite of our, our failures and mistakes, he directs the steps of the righteous. How important. Proverbs 20, verse 24 says, A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? It's very, very interesting. We should, we should make plans counting on God to direct us every step of the way. So what is God's way? The Lord directs his steps. And he does that all the time. And I, I love, I love the, the verse in James 4 that sometimes we forget, dear people, but if we, if we will learn to make our plans according to God's will, the Lord will direct our way. Look what James said. I just love it. Come now, you who say today and tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, and buy and sell, and, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a, a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Boy, how true that is. I hope that's what you do. <clears throat> Dr. Roland... V. Bingham, founder of the Sudan Interior Mission, was a serious, was in a serious auto accident. In the hospital, when he regained consciousness, the nurses says, Oh, be very quiet, be very quiet. You were in a frightful accident. And he perked up and he says, Accident? Accident? There are no accidents in the life of a Christian. This is just an incident in God's perfect leading. Ooh, if we could learn how to take our circumstances like that. Wouldn't that be wonderful, dear people? Not an accident. It's an incident. Thank the Lord. We all make plans, but we cannot control everything. Events that we do not expect will happen. There will be problems. We might need to change our plans. We might not understand the reason, but we can trust the Lord. And, you know, I love, I love the little poem that Dr. Spurgeon wrote. He said, sometimes our plan does not unfold the way we thought it would, but God is always in control to use it for our good. Isn't that wonderful? Dear ones, are you willing to let God be in control of your life? Give it to him right now as we pray. Lord Jesus. As we bow in your presence, these verses have hit some of us pretty hard. They are convicting, and we need your help. And I pray that at this moment, you would help us to just uh, recommit our lives to you and learn how to roll our burdens upon you. And for those here without Jesus, oh God, I pray that in the quietness of this moment, they will open their heart's door to you and just say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. He will do that. 
So friends, without Jesus, do that as we are praying just now and come to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you for the preciousness of it. And help us to live the way we're supposed to live by allowing you to control our lives in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.